Welcome to episode 106 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book called Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Here's a short preview of this episode in which I'll be speaking with best-selling author Bob Kelleher. Engagement is not satisfaction. And I think that's one of the mistakes companies and certainly maybe first-line supervisors make, right? They think the goal is to satisfy their employees. And I always push back and say, if you focus on employee satisfaction, you have as much of a risk of creating a culture of employee entitlement as a culture of engagement. My co-host Chris and I both believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, you'll be listening in on a conversation that I had with Bob Kelleher, who is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and consultant. I asked Bob to talk to us about his specialty, employee engagement. Bob travels the globe sharing his insights on employee engagement, leadership, and workforce trends. He is the founder and president of the Employee Engagement Group and the author of the best-selling book, Louder Than Words. 10 Practical Employee Engagement Steps That Drive Results, among several other books. Bob can be seen or heard on national media, most recently on CNBC, CBS, NBC News, Businessweek, Forbes, and Fortune. But what I really loved about talking to Bob is that Bob spent 25 years in the AEC industry, including roles with AECOM as Chief Human Resources Officer and roles with several other companies. Bob also received AECOM's highest internal award for introducing employee engagement throughout AECOM's 28 global operating companies. And today, Bob continues to present and consult with AEC companies and is the founder and host of the AEC Industries HR Summit, an annual conference which has become the industry's largest gathering of HR professionals now in its 10th year. And this year, it'll be in Nashville in April. And the Engineering Management Institute will be sponsoring and I will be attending the event. I really think you're going to like this conversation with Bob. He's just, he's very engaging himself. And of course, he's speaking about a very important topic in our industry. So before we get started with Bob, this is a free show and our sponsors help keep it free. So please support them. I'd like to now recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, by asking you, are you thinking of taking the FEPE or SE exam next year? Stay tuned to this podcast for my recommendation on the best prep courses available for licensure exams. Best of all, they're currently $500 off during PPI's early bird registration period. For more information about this amazing deal and how you can make career advancement a reality next year, listen up later on in this podcast. All right, now let's dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now I'm excited to welcome Bob Kelleher to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Bob is an author, speaker, and founder of the Employee Engagement Group. Bob, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. 
Thank you for having me, Anthony. I am delighted to be here this morning. So, Bob, before we jump into the topic of employee engagement and topics around that, I want to just talk a little bit about your career. We obviously gave you a good introduction here and kind of went through some of your bio for our listeners so that they understand your background. But you did spend time in the engineering industry. Now, of course, you spend time speaking, training all over the world. Take us through kind of your career progression and how you got to where you are today, if you don't mind. Yeah, I won't completely bore your listeners, but I do know the civil engineering industry quite well in the more broad category. The uh, architectural engineering and consulting slash construction industry is, has been a focus area really since 1985, where I started off as a personnel representative uh, for the old sanitary engineering firm Metcalf and Eddy was recruited away uh, to be head of human resources for the environmental consulting company called ENSER. And it was really during my ENSER years in which I started uh, focusing uh, full-time on this differentiator that if you can engage the workforce, you can drive business results. And over a uh, window of time, really from 93 to 2005, we were able to prove that engagement literally does drive business results. In fact, ultimately, I became chief operations officer for Ensor, which had grown to 3,000 global employees. And I think that's real key uh, for your listeners to know that the impact of engagement, you know, the human resource professional generally does not run or lead a large engineering or consulting type practice when you're not a technical person. So just to have the HR practice leader be promoted to chief operations officer uh, in so many ways validated engagement is a business driver. 2005, we were acquired by AECOM, uh, that small engineering firm your listeners might know. And in 2005, they were really a holding company. So they had 28 global operating companies. And uh, my first few years with AECOM was a terrific uh, time in my career. Uh, they asked me to work with 28 global operating companies. And I found that I really enjoyed working with different leadership teams, Anthony. And unbeknownst to AECOM at the time, uh, they probably were giving birth to a consultant because I found that I could be in Hong Kong or Dubai or working with their Australian businesses. And it was the first time that I saw the framework of engagement absolutely works. I mean, this has stickiness regardless of which part of the AEC space you might be in or which part of the globe you might be working in. And in 2007, AECOM became a publicly traded company. They asked if I would be chief HR officer, which I did. Another great uh, time in my career. So I spent a couple of years as chief HR officer for AECOM. Uh, January of 2009, I decided to venture off on my own. So many people told me you really need to write a book, archive, kind of the blueprint. And that led to uh, the 10 steps of engagement under the title of Louder Than Words. Uh, that book became a bestseller. That led to book two, three, four, five, uh, led to the creation of a business. Uh, and here we are today. So Hopefully it wasn't too much detailed, but it does give you some background in terms of the uh, kind of the number of years I've been in the space. Today, I work with healthcare, engineering, software, financial services, hospitality. I just came back from Naples, Florida, where I was working with one of the premier country clubs throughout the country. So we now find that engagement really transcends all industries. You're 100% right on that. And I think the reason, too, that I wanted Bob to talk a little bit about his experience, because I know for me, doing a lot of coaching and training for engineering firms, it's extremely helpful for me to have worked in the field. And I'm sure the same for Bob, even though now he works, of course, globally on different industries. But nonetheless, Bob, let's get back to the kind of the basics here of what we want to talk about. 
which is, of course, engagement. So before we get too deep into this, can you just kind of talk about maybe define engagement or kind of give your thoughts on engagement for the audience when you're using that word? What does that mean? And I always like to, uh, first of all, tell the audience what it isn't. Engagement is not satisfaction. And I think that's one of the mistakes companies and certainly maybe first-line supervisors make, right? They think the goal is to satisfy their employees. And I always push back and say, if you focus on employee satisfaction, you have as much of a risk of creating a culture of employee entitlement as a culture of engagement. Engagement is an outcome. It's an outcome of doing many, many things well. And the visual I often use is engagement is the intersection that occurs when an organization or a boss is doing all they can to help an employee reach his or her potential while simultaneously the employee is doing all they can to help the business be a success. When you have that partnership, because engagement really is a partnership, right? You get that mutual commitment that we are both aligned. We are both looking to see success, me within my career, the organization with its health, and together we will do uh, great things. And engagement really is that mutual commitment between two parties who are fully aligned. And the outcome that I've seen is success, right? And depending on how you define success, if you're a nonprofit, it's hard to say you are now profitable, but you know you are certainly a more successful entity. Uh, and if you are in the profit sector, you know there's a whole cottage industry today that is able to validate companies that are engaged uh, based on survey results tend to be more profitable and grow at a quicker pace than those organizations that aren't engaged. So it's really now been validated by the Gallups, the Deloitte's, the PricewaterhouseCoopers who kind of survey this type of stuff that engagement drives business results. It sounds to me like one of the key components of engagement that I think a lot of people wouldn't assume when you hear the word is that it is a two-way street based on what you just said, Bob. It's not just about the companies engaging their employees, but it's also about the employees being engaged and passionate about what they're doing and driving the company mission forward. Is that accurate? Yeah. There have actually been studies that if you hold employees accountable, their engagement scores go up. So, you know, it's really after what employees are after. Your employees are looking to achieve. They really are. They want to win. It's allowing them the opportunity to win, you know, providing the necessary compensation structures, financial structures, reward systems, metrics, KPIs, which employees can see that line of sight that uh, based on what I'm doing, I see that I'm winning and I see the organizations winning. So it really is uh, playing off the intrinsic motivational driver we all have as employees, and that is to achieve. We want to win. So how do you kind of play off that, both to benefit the individual and to benefit the organization? And the reason I just wanted to kind of emphasize that is because if you are listening and you are I guess, considered right now someone who's working and moving up in your company, maybe you're not leading or managing, part of engagement is your job and part of it is your company's job. So it is that back and forth, which is important to note. Bob, one of the other things that you talk about and I read about in in your content that you put out there is the idea of engaging the whole person. Can you talk about that a little bit? And I'll take a step back first just to let the audience know that uh, I am not against employee satisfaction. In fact, if I have employees reporting to me, I would rather they go home at night satisfied. It's just kind of separating that that's not my goal, because if it's my goal, I might not hold people accountable. I might allow a you know, level of mediocrity to exist. And if I do that, then I'm actually disengaging other colleagues. I'm all for people being satisfied. 
this whole look at engaging the whole person is relatively new in the engagement circles. And it, with me, it came from the fact that Gallup continues to tell us that 67% of the employees are disengaged or actively disengaged. So in spite of a vastly improved economy, we only see about 33% of the workforce actually giving above and beyond. And when we did some research for my latest book, I Engage, we determined that a lot of the engagement uh, challenges aren't necessarily relating to what happens at work. So you can have a great boss, great company, great brand, great culture. And if I don't like my job, it doesn't really matter with all the other things taking place. It also doesn't really matter if my personal life is in chaos, right? So 50% of the U.S. workforce will ultimately get divorced if you are married. You have employees dealing with elder care. You have employees dealing with child care. You have employees dropping off children in the morning, picking up children after work. You have dual income families where they're at uh, high stress points in their life. And along comes someone like me to talk about everybody giving discretionary effort. And what we have found is a discretionary effort is really a point in time. We all, including me, and I write books on this topic, we all have good days. We all have not so good days. And often those not so good days might relate to, boy, it took me two hours to drive to work this morning, or might be an illness in the family, or it might be on the positive side, I have a new partner in my life and everything's going great, or I'm about to go on vacation in three weeks, so I have an extra bounce in my step. So getting managers to understand engagement is not just about what happens during work, but we have found in our research is it's as much to do with what happens after work. So this kind of holistic look at engagement is really kind of the new frontier in what we're trying to get managers to really understand. Yeah, I think that this is really important in today's world because I tend to tell engineers often that whether you realize it or not, both your work life and your personal life are very intertwined because you're the same person, right? All day long, 24-7 for the most part in terms of what's going through your brain, what's impacting you. Also, of course, with devices these days, you know, people at home have a lot of access to you during the day and people at work have access to you after hours. So I do think that it's really important as a manager when you're dealing with your team and when you're trying to build relationships and interact with them to understand that they don't come to work every morning and then get inside a sealed box, focus 150% for eight hours and then go home and completely forget about work until the next morning. And I just think that there's really a lot of importance in understanding that and be able to flex with that to kind of, I guess, to get the engagement that we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, if you talk to the highly analytical brains, they're the types of people that uh, normally lead companies in the civil engineering and the architectural and consulting space, the more left brain you are, the more data oriented you are, right? So when you uh, talk to folks about this whole concept, you know, sometimes I'll get pushback that we're not a social agency. Uh, how can I worry about what happens, you know, when they're not at work? And I always um, push back, Anthony, and say, we're not asking you to ask your employees if they're going through a divorce. We're not looking to ask your employees if they're having personal hardship. What we're asking leaders to do is to understand this phenomena, that engagement is driven not only of what happens at work, what happens after work. And what we have seen is the manager who is the empathetic manager is the manager that is more likely to have an employee proactively come to them and say, hey, how do you have a minute? I have something going on on the home front. So the successful managers are those that are able to get their employees to think that they care about them as people. And there was a study a few years back by a company 
called Etisalat. Etisalat did a study with Conexa, and they were able to conclude that organizations that have enterprise-wide trust have a higher degree of enterprise-wide engagement. Then they were able to kind of drill down and prove that the way you build trust is to demonstrate you care about the well-being of people. So when they looked at the polling of lots of employees, and I believe I first saw this report uh, working for Etisalat, which was a client company in Dubai, Connexa reported their results. And I was astonished because they basically said from the employee standpoint, organizations that demonstrate they care about the well-being of employees build trust. Then they also were able to do a correlation that organizations that build enterprise-wide trust are more profitable than organizations that don't. So you see almost a bottom line connection between me as a leader demonstrating to my employees that I care about them as people and the performance of the business. So it's one of those things, Anthony, that it's doing well by doing good, right? It's a good thing to do from a humanity standpoint that if you report to me, I really want to care about you as a person, but it also shows up on the bottom line, perhaps not directly, but certainly indirectly. Bob, on that point, can you, for those listeners not familiar with empathy or not really familiar with how to utilize it potentially or how it comes into play in, in the corporate world, can you just talk on that for a few minutes? It's, you know, we tend to look at conversations with employees and managers, focus on a couple of areas. Hey, Anthony, how was your weekend? Or uh, let's talk about this particular project we're behind schedule, or we have to try to see if we can get... Uh, a quick client meeting to come together to make sure that there's a very effective project review underway. So it's either very business-like or it's almost superficial. Demonstrating you care about the well-being of people is to you know, walk into someone's work area and see a picture of their chocolate Labrador and asking, oh, wow, you have a lab, uh, how old? It's kind of drilling down. It's demonstrating that you really do care about the person as a person. It's allowing some flexibility when the employee needs time to go to the daughter's dance recital. It's having a sense of appreciation that the employees are not widgets. The employees can burn out. And, uh, you know, one of the big shifts that we made at ENSA, the shift was clients will always be critically important, but employees are now 1A and clients are 1B. So we actually put the client relationship behind the relationship with the employees because we felt that the only way you could ever have extraordinary uh, customer satisfaction is through having extraordinarily high employee engagement. And we see this in the airline industry. You know, I fly all the time. I haven't been surprised at all that United Airlines had so much difficulty uh, with some customer bad examples over the past 12 to 24 months, because I fly United. And I see that their employees aren't engaged. So me as the customer, I'm not having a particularly great customer experience. We had the past week, I've been flying Delta. You know, Delta is the only airline on Fortune's 100 best place to work. And Delta is not a client. So, you know, I'm not just touting Delta because they're a client. But I have a different experience when I fly Delta. And I think there's a direct correlation between if the employees engage, we will, as the consumer, have a better experience. So what I try to do is get the analytical managers to understand that it's a, it really is a blend. If you're managing people, it's a blend of IQ and emotional intelligence, right? And the emotional intelligence piece might not be as natural. It might not be as intuitive for the analytical brain. But I've worked with some amazing leaders in the AEC space. And because they're so smart, they understand this. They understand the concept. 
So it's a matter of how do you help them with it? How do you coach them through it? Uh, and, you know, people like yourself, Anthony, that build your practice on the, you know, inside the coaching space, how do you coach them to understand the importance of a demonstrating that I care about you as a person? And the byproduct of that is the employee now giving above and beyond for you as the boss. It's important. And it's something I think that people are starting to think about, at least think about more. I can't say more people are doing it. You would know better than me, but obviously it sounds like you're busy trying to help people. So a lot of people still need help with it, but I think people are starting to become a little bit more aware. Talk a little bit about the importance of this idea of selecting and developing the first line leader. If you think about the first line leader, Anthony, and you know both you and I have had first line leaders, perhaps we have been first line leaders. The great irony in business is the more junior you are as an employee, the more needy you are as an employee. So what do we do with the very needy uh, frontline employees? We give them the least experienced supervisors. So we take a first-line employee and we promote them to be a supervisor. So now they're managing three or four engineers or three or four architects or in the healthcare, I'm now managing three or four employees if I'm a nurse. But we often don't take the individual contributors' responsibilities away from that individual. Maybe we might reduce it slightly, but the individual is a individual practitioner. They might have gone to school for civil engineering. They might have a master's in civil engineering. Now we're asking them to manage three or four people, and we're keeping the billability and the bookings goal the same. So you have a highly trained person doing what they went to school for, possibly doing what they really enjoy. Now we're asking them to worry about performance appraisals, worry about managing people, developing people, engaging people, talking to people, asking people what they think, incorporating the input of their employees. But yet we often don't do a good job, Anthony, on the due diligence of who we're asking to manage people. And again, go back to this empathy word. I think empathy is a baseline competency that anyone who manages people has to have. Like you have to understand that. We're doing a good job with selection, number one, usually not. Number two, are we doing a good job on providing development opportunities once they are selected to manage people? Again, often we don't. And number three, are we reducing their individual contributors' workload in such a way that we allow them time to effectively manage and engage others? And again, from our experience, we often don't do that. So we have inexperienced managers managing the level of the organization that is most needy to be led. And that's so true. In fact, I was just coaching a a younger civil engineer yesterday, and he was telling me how one of the managers left and they kind of, he fell into the role, but he didn't relinquish any of his project management tasks. So he's just completely overloaded trying to figure out how to manage and how to still do his regular tasks, et cetera. And I think it is a pretty widespread problem in the AE industry, this idea of promoting engineers to managers, but not letting them then focus solely on the management of things, which is big time. There's a wonderful case study um, that is current. There's a company headquartered here in New England called Sanborn Head. Now, full disclosure, I have done work with them. But Sanborn Head recently came up with a new program, and it's probably in its uh, well into its second year, in which they reduced the number of first-line supervisors in half, and they doubled the number of direct reports. So it sounds kind of intuitive, right? So we're going to give you double the number of people to manage, and we're going to expect you to do a better job. 
But what they did that I think is such a great case study, they reduced the technical, the project work, the business development goals of these leaders. They called them edge leaders, which was an acronym. And I uh, recently ran into some of their execs and they said it's been a wild success. So they're asking the people that really demonstrate competency in managing people to spend more of their time doing that, and the people that are really good on the project side or the client side or technical side, to ask them to do that. And, you know, it has its challenges because we all know the more people we manage, the more money we make. So part of the reason we have so many bad managers in all industries is because, you know, everyone's looking to rise in their career. And the more people you have on the air, it's the typical pyramid, right? Uh, The more money you'll make. But if you can really isolate those really, really good managers that do it really, really well and reallocate their time so they're doing more of just that, you'll have a more successful business model. For sure. No doubt about it. And I think that's one of the challenges in engineering is to find people with those skill sets and then to be able to isolate them is a little bit tricky, especially with the smaller type firms. But I guess it's something that everyone is working on trying to grow with. Before we wrap up and we get into our hot seat segment with Bob, one last question. I think we've made it clear. You've made it clear how important employee engagement is through your work over the years. And of course, for those just getting to know you in this episode, I think you made a great case for it here. One of the questions that I'm sure you get a lot in terms of engagement is, okay, now I understand how important engagement is, but one of the challenges is we have people from all different generations in our firm that may see engagement differently, may approach it differently. What would you say to that? Or how can you speak on that a little bit, that challenge? A couple of things on that. It's funny, I, I just came back uh, this past week where I've been on the road probably 90% of my time, really, the past three weeks. And I spent time with the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta. And uh, we had a four hour, half day workshop. And generations became the dominant topic inside that workshop, which is not unusual. And they recognized that the dominant population that's working side by side with all of us today would be categorized into the millennial or Gen Y group. In 2015, they became the majority. Us baby boomers are now in the minority. Whether you love them or whether they frustrate you, there is no getting away from the fact that successful organizations are those that figure out how to engage the millennials. And that includes giving them accelerated growth positions. If you look at the demographics, there's simply not enough Gen X, which would be kind of the middle of the hourglass of a very small population. There's not enough of them, Anthony, to backfill all of the openings that will continue to be available based on the ongoing retirement of the baby boomers. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of every single day, our baby boomers are moving into the retirement years, and we simply don't have enough Gen Xs. So I always tell, you know, if I'm giving a talk, I always say, make sure you hug your Gen X. They are so in demand because there are a few of them looking to backfill a very large pool. And in the AEC space, as I compare industries, the engineering space is very slow to embrace this uh, growth promotion of the millennials. Even during my Metcalf in 80 years, I remember Anthony uh, saying you could not be a project manager unless you had 10 years of experience. Today, I actually laugh at my own advice uh, from the 80s, because why should tenure have any relevance at all, right? If you're capable of being a great project manager, why shouldn't you be a project manager? That's what other industries are doing. So I have two boys who are both in finance. One works for a very large uh, a defense contractor, and he's in that hierarchy, and he gets his promotions, and he's the top employee. 
But, you know, he's in this hierarchy, right, with a whole bunch of people in front of him. Then I have a younger son who's a millennial who's in a uh, kind of a cool data technology startup firm. And it's amazing what I see him doing. I mean, they are throwing him more and more every day because they have to. That's that industry, right? It's a very young industry. They expect more. They give more. I am not one of those old-fashioned boomers who will say, oh, the millennials are lazy or, you know, they're not like we were. I find the millennials to be a fascinating generation. They are creative. They are resourceful. They are curious. They work different than us. They absolutely work different than us. They can work remote really well. They can collaborate remotely really well. But the millennials uh, represent the solution to where you're going as an organization because you can't win without them. And again, hug Gen X because there are a few of them to backfill increasing voids of leadership inside the AEC space with the ongoing retirement of practice leaders and principals who are part of the baby boomer generation. Yeah, very interesting. It's definitely something that those of you, especially leading firms, have to think about how to kind of deal with and react and respond to the different generations. It's really, really important as we move forward here. All right. So once again, we're speaking with Bob Kelleher, author, speaker, and founder of the Employee Engagement Group. We're going to take a quick break and come back and wrap this up with our hot seat segment. So stick with us. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. Now it's time for our Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment with Bob Kelleher from the Employee Engagement Group. Today's hot seat segment is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. All engineers know that one of the best ways to advance in your career is to get licensed. Why not make getting licensed one of your resolutions for 2019? The perfect way to ensure that you're fully prepared for the exam is to take a prep course. PPI offers the most comprehensive and supportive prep course program out there. And right now, all PPI prep courses are $500 off. Yes, you heard that right. All PPI prep courses are marked down by $500. Don't let this deal slip by. It ends on December 6th. Make a commitment to getting licensed in 2019 and enroll in a PPI prep course today. Visit ppi2pass.com to learn how you can enroll in a prep course for the FE, PE, or SE exam and take one step closer to career advancement. That's PPI, the number two, pass.com. All right, we're back with Bob Keller, founder of the Employee Engagement Group, and it's time for the CE Hot Seat segment. You ready, Bob? I am already. First question, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or lunchtime routine or something that you do consistently on a daily basis that contributes to your success? I try, no matter where I am, to get away, to get away from the office, take a walk, take a run, uh, work out. I absolutely need that time to kind of refresh my brain. This is the first office space that I've had in a while that I don't have showers uh, because I, I find, you know, to do something pretty energetic, take a shower. It's almost like I can uh, have two AMs. I have an AM in the morning and I have an AM in the afternoon uh, in which I happen to be the person who is way more focused where my brain is really, really bright. And I find by decoupling from work during the day, that is really, really key for me. I also am an avid reader. So I am constantly reading. My millennial children have taught me the importance of having various apps that have the latest news briefs, uh, whether it's news, entertainment, politically. And I really, really try to stay current. And I do this every single day. That's great. I always love asking that question to people that travel a lot, too, because I feel like one of the things that can kind of blow any routines you have out of the water is travel. But it sounds like 
you try to do that one thing, even if you're on the road, which is great. It's tough when you're doing all day client workshops if I disappear for an hour and a half, but I'll factor in. So this past week I was in, uh, I was in El Paso, Texas. The workshop ended at five o'clock. We had a team building event at six and everybody went up to the hotel room and I just started walking aimlessly around El Paso for 45 minutes to try to get my three circle loop on my Apple watch. For those who have a wearable device, then you'll understand what I just said. All right, Bob, next question. What is one book that you recommend to engineers regularly or just one book in general that you found to be helpful for yourself and your personal and professional development? And you could certainly feel free to offer up one of your own if you think it's applicable. In the spirit of uh, shameful self-promotion, my most recent book, I Engage, I think is a wonderful self-help book, uh, Anthony. It has 23 career rest stops. And it's a book that's focused on the individual. You know, my earlier books were focused on the manager. And although there were some great manager best practices, it is a, a fabulous kind of soul-searching, set on top of the mountain type of book to really help kind of stimulate maybe why you might be struggling yourself with your own engagement. Because we find unless you're engaged, you'll have a hard time engaging others. As far as outside books, my favorite uh, recent book I've read is Team Arrivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin, and it's about Abe Lincoln. And the movie Lincoln was a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie on one small part of one chapter. And if you enjoyed that movie, the book is just amazing. And it's it, to me, it's one of the greatest leadership books of all times because Abraham Lincoln really, really focused on diversity of thought. And he filled his entire cabinet with people who disagreed with him. And that's the purpose of the book, A Team Arrivals. If I have time, two quick ones that I recently read by the same author, Walter Isaacson. Walter Isaacson wrote uh, the Steve Jobs book, but he also wrote uh, a bio on Ben Franklin and a second bio on Leonel da Vinci. And these are brilliant books in that it really talks about curiosity being a key competency. And I am such a fan of hiring people that are both empathetic and people that have this natural curiosity streak. And when you see how, you know, the showcase of whether it's Jobs or Leonel da Vinci or Ben Franklin, three incredibly different people. But what linked the three of them together was this real amazing curiosity streak. So how do we kind of build that into our workforces? Two last questions. Firstly, in terms of managers, if you could think back on your career in terms of some of the most effective managers that you've had, what is something that jumps out in terms of why they were effective? Like what makes you really remember these managers? Two things that come into mind. Uh, and just a shout out to Ed Burns. Ed Burns was uh, my first uh, manager who hired me uh, into Metcalf and Eddie. I was a former elementary school teacher. He gave me a chance. And he recently passed away. He was head of HR at Turner Construction when he was diagnosed with brain cancer. But he was the single greatest boss ever. And when I think about the, the boss demonstrating you care about the well-being of people, like Ed knew the names of my kids. He knew the name of my wife. Like my wife still says, you know, he was one of the greatest guys ever. He made work fun. I went to work. We had, you know, we worked really hard and we played really hard. And he really injected in me this whole notion that, you know, work doesn't have to just be work. You know, you can have fun while you're working really, really hard. And I stayed with him and he for close to nine years, probably five years longer than I should have based on maybe my career not uh, progressing as quickly as it might have had I left. But just an amazing boss. The second boss I'm going to give a shout out to is Bob Weber. Bob Weber was the CEO during my NC years. 
a wonderful, wonderful CEO. You know, he never told me no, ever. Like, I never heard the no word from him. And he really unleashed my own potential, right? So he knew that I was kind of creative uh, in this world of engagement. And I was in my little laboratory with some really great creative co-workers. And he kind of let us do our thing. And he would give advice and counsel. But he really trusted that we would do great things. And when you trust people will do great things, guess what? They do great things. So uh, both of them uh, were really, really influential and strong managers in my life. All right, last question here. If you were to get into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had 30, 40 seconds to give them some career advice based on your experience in the industry, your, all your experience with employee engagement, et cetera, what would it be? Success in business is a combination of two things. It's a combination of what you do, and it's a combination of how you do it. The vast majority of engineers, scientists I've worked at are really, really effective on what to do, right? They know their craft. They know what they're doing. It's the how. And the acronym that I like to use is BEST, B-E-S-T. A lot of technical people focus on the E and the S. That's the, you know, uh, in some ways it's E squared. It's education and experience. And S is skills, right? That's what we tend to hire for. That's what we tend to look at. And again, the technical uh, workforce really excels in the E and the S. But it's the B and the T, the behaviors and traits that really make a difference. And that's how you get work done. It's how you communicate with people, how you are seen as a collaborator and as a nurturer and as a grower of people. So when I talk to technical people, I always tell them, hey, think of the acronym BEST, B-E-S-T, don't underestimate the kind of the attitudinal type things, right? The things on the B and the T while you hit it out of the park with the aptitude things. All right. So once again, Bob Kelleher, founder of the Employee Engagement Group. Bob, thank you so much for spending some time with us here. Where's the best place for people to find you? I'm assuming that your books obviously are all on Amazon. The books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookstores. But certainly uh, you can find me on my website. I have the number one website in the world on engagement. It's employeeengagement.com. And if you go to employeeengagement.com, you'll see me. If you type in the name Bob Kelleher, you'll see me. Our video, Why Is Your Boat Still Sinking, uh, which is a follow-up to Who's Sinking Your Boat. Both those videos uh, have gone viral. I think the first one's now up to 1.1 million views. So if you like what I had to say, you could uh, kind of just go on YouTube. There's a lot of really cool videos, both of me speaking as well as some of these kind of sort of educational videos. I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, I love working in this space, Anthony, and thank you for the platform to spend time with you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bob Kelleher. He's such an engaging guy himself, and every person that I talk to in the AE HR space knows of Bob, which is why he's been able, of course, to build the AEC HR Summit up. It's now the 10th annual summit this April 2019 down in Nashville. I'll be there. I'm excited about it. If you're interested in checking it out, just go to employeeengagement.com forward slash HR Summit and you can read all about it. I also want to remind you that if you are interested in some of our online training programs, you can go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org under the training tab. We recently revamped our resume and interview course for engineering students with a high quality video course that you could do on demand at your own pace. We recently created an on-demand version of the Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop for those of you interested in going from engineer to manager or becoming a more effective engineering manager. 
And we're also working on revamping our goal setting course for engineers, which we will be launching towards the end of this year, early 2019, to get you going on the right course in 2019. So again, check all that out at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. And remember that you can find the specific show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode 106. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that Bob or I mentioned during this episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 